Good morning and welcome to another edition of our podcast where we discuss the month's Nordia on your mind. This month's focus is on financial targets. I am John Grant. I am the head of Nordia Research, Editing and Publishing. And I'm here with Yuan Trok Mie, the head of thematic research, Ebba Ramel, and Victor Sunnebeck. Thank you very much for that introduction. Great to um, have you with us in the podcast, John, to uh, moderate it. Thank you. It's my, my first time. It's nice. Um, I'd like to say, um, in talking about financial targets, I think one of the most important things is to kind of define what you're talking about. Um, would you like to tell us kind of how you have outlined your subject? It's a very good point, John. Uh, if we are going to go into the topic, we might as well try and make clear what it is that we have in mind when we say financial targets. Um, we make a distinction between financial targets and guidance. And guidance to us is when a management team of a company tries to help outside stakeholders uh, be a better able to gauge where is demand going, where is the momentum of the business going, depending on consumer behavior, the economy, growth, etc. And that would be to us more short-term in nature than financial targets. So guidance would be trying to give commentary on how the business is developing in the coming quarter or quarters, whereas a financial target would be an objective for the business to be achieved uh, on a one-year time horizon or further out in time. So in a sense, you could say something like, uh, if, we, if you're going somewhere and you, are, you plug in those coordinates into Google Maps, you know where you're going. That's your financial target. Now, how you get there, you might have to turn left here because there's an accident. There might be a bridge out. So kind of how you're going to get there and predicting the road immediately in front of the car is more guidance. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy, actually. And then, in addition, we're saying financial targets, and that means that we don't include uh, in our definition of financial targets, which we analyze in our study, uh, other types of targets, like, for instance, sustainability targets. Now, those are very, very important, and we have seen them grow massively in importance in recent years, but they are not financial. They relate to sustainability performance, and we've had to make a distinction also there between what is what. So financial would mean a financial metric like an, a margin or a growth rate or a level of leverage for the company, for example. Right. Okay. Um, great. Thank you for that. As I understand it, this particular study of financial targets this time builds on several earlier uh, studies you've done since, I think, going as far back as 2012. Um, why revisit the topic? <coughs> yeah, that, that's, that's entirely true. Uh, we've looked at this topic back and forth uh, several times, uh, all the way back to 2012, and this really originates back to when the thematic research team was part of the large corporate unit at Nordea, what we call corporate and investment banking. Uh, and the, the, the reason the topic became one that we looked at in the research team at all was actually requests from customers. We had several corporate customers who asked us about financial targets and, and, and 
asked us for our views on how they should think about financial targets. And it started out at the very first time in the Swedish retail industry, where some corporate customers from that space coincidentally uh, wanted some guidance in, in how to think about financial targets. And from that, we did several studies where we gradually uh, expanded the topic, looking at uh, a bigger group of companies, looking at a longer time series of data, studying how companies have worked with financial targets and how successful they have been, etc. Uh, and this has now uh, culminated, at least for the time being, in us deciding to beef the topic up even a bit further and, and, and treat it in one of our Nordea on your mind reports. All right. So what's, so what's the difference this time? What's new? Uh, that's a totally fair question. And, and like I said, we have gradually expanded the studies that we have made of financial targets. And, and this time around in this Nordea on your mind based study of the topic, what has really changed is on the one hand that we have added more data. So we have looked at a pretty large group of companies. We've looked at 200 companies in the four Nordic countries. Those 200 companies are those which have been constituents of the main index in each country, in Denmark, Sweden, Finland, and Norway, at some point all the way back to 2007. So the, the biggest and most liquid stocks, if you will. Those are the ones who are included in the 200 that we have studied. And then we have expanded the time period that we have studied. So it now stretches all the way back to 2007, uh, up until 2018, um, and we have tracked in detail how they have done uh, when it comes to financial targets, um, how successful they've been, etc. Uh, we have also added an element of trying to gauge what the demand is like for financial targets from the key stakeholder group, uh, the shareholders, representatives of the owners of the companies. So we have interviewed a number of equity investors, institutional equity investors uh, from the Nordics, uh, asking them of their views, what sort of targets would they like companies to use? That's really interesting. I think that's really important. So, um, you know, you said you started in, in back in 2012 with corporates asking uh, for a little bit of, of information on how they should use financial targets, I think, as, as I read in this report. Um, 20 years ago, there were companies that just didn't give any financial information at all. I think you gave an example of a, a large cap German company where you wanted to interview them as an analyst. And they said, why don't you just come on by our annual uh, report release uh, conference and you can talk to them there. So a once a year opportunity. Um, so we've gone from there uh, to corporates in 2012 asking for asking you how to to use these financial targets, and then now we're we're asking kind of the the customers of these financial targets, the shareholders, how they're using them. And the interesting thing is is to find out kind of whether how the shareholders are using them and how the companies um, think they're being used, how those two meet up. Indeed, which is part of what we've done in this study, of course. But it's, it's a journey, just as you described, looking at where it started. Right. So, I mean, if we, we stay on that, the report uh, includes a survey of investor preferences about these financial targets um, uh, and a study on large Nordic companies' usage of the targets. Now, did you find any differences between the preferences and usage? 
Yes, so if I start with the key takeaways from the investor study that we did, uh, all investors, unsurprisingly, want companies to have externally communicated financial targets. They want companies to have three to four targets spanning over three to five years or over a cycle. And one investor summed this up as not too many targets and keep it simple. Uh, investors also agreed on that the ambition level of the target should be realistic and represent either the most likely outcome or a challenging but possible outcome. And no one wanted stretched targets, actually. Um, half of the re respondents used financial targets as a starting point in their dialogue with management about strategy and focus, and a bit surprisingly only one-third of investors use financial targets as a basis for evaluating management performance. Half of the respondents uh, use financial targets as a starting point in their dialogue with management about strategy and focus, and a bit surprisingly only one-third of investors use financial targets as a basis for evaluating management performance. Some investors also use financial targets for financial modeling, either as a reality check or as an input in their own valuation models. And when it comes to the actual targets that investors prefer, the top three targets are growth, return on capital and margin targets, followed by payout targets and capital structure targets. And least popular were cash flow and capital efficiency targets. So if I can break in there for a second. Yeah. It's interesting when you, you talk about what investors prefer. Now, how does that match up with the kinds of targets that the companies are issuing? So if the the investors, what, which were the three that they preferred? It was, it was growth, return on capital, and... Margin targets. And margin exactly. targets. Mm. Now, how do those fit in with what's being issued? I will actually hand over to Victor to answer you on that <coughs> question. And I'll be happy to go through that one. Uh, so I think it's very interesting that, that you know investors focus on these, uh, you can call them operational targets. Uh, and when you look at what companies are actually doing, uh, we do see a discrepancy between what investors uh, prefer to see uh, and what companies are actually using. Uh, in the sense that the the top three, uh, you, you said the top three targets uh, for investors was uh, return on capital, margin, and growth, right? Yes. Uh, and we actually see those um, being in, I think, uh, slot number three, four, and five uh, when it comes to companies' actual target use, uh, where companies are focusing, uh, understandably as well, on shareholder return targets. So, for example, uh, payout ratio, uh, but also uh, capital structure. Uh, so most often, a, for example, a net debt to, to EBITDA target. And I think it's, in, it's important to remember here that the survey that we've done focuses on institutional equity investors. Uh, so understandably, they're going to be less focused on the balance sheet side of things. So they're going to be less focused on leverage targets, for example. Uh, so I think that if we would have added, uh, for example, bond investors, uh, we might have had a different outcome. Uh, when it comes to that question. Okay. Um, so that's interesting that they, they show up, that, that there is this little kind of shift in, in what each side thinks is most important. Why do you think it is that, that the corporates focus on those two? Is it that they're kind of, they have more control over the inputs? 
so it's more easy to set a target that they can meet? Uh, that's a very good question once again, and I think it does have a lot to do of, uh, to some extent, having a, a payout ratio, for example, or having a capital structure target. It's it's pretty much necessary for companies to have. Uh, take, a, for example, a leverage target. Uh, it could be in connection with uh, with the covenants uh, on some of their debt. So if they have that uh, that limitation on their capital structure, why not communicate it as well, right? So it might be something that they already have. Uh, and at the same time, as you, you, you're mentioning, uh, it probably has a lot to do with, uh, as well with the definition of or, or the difference between the target types in that when it comes to shareholder return, so payout ratio, for example, uh, or capital structure, it is very much something that management uh, or the board of a company uh, can, can affect. Right. So if we think about the these targets, you know, there's this idea of, um, okay, so so what? So they're meeting the targets um, or not meeting the targets. Um, what happens when they they do meet the targets? What's the the result? Uh, so I think if we back up a bit and, uh, and focus on these two key differences, looking at uh, some of the target types which uh, which corporates have more more ability to affect directly uh, versus the ones that investors want to see, the, the operational targets, so, so margin or, or growth, for example. These target types are obviously much more affected uh, about the environment surrounding the company. So, for example, macroeconomic challenges or, or, or business cycle. If we, if we just look at, uh, at the, the overall target achievement uh, dating back to 2007, uh, we see an average achievement for these operational targets uh, around 50%. Uh, and when it comes to, to uh, the more strategic type of targets, uh, so, so the shareholder return or the capital structure, uh, I believe it's as high as, as 80%. And if we break down this even further and look at how it has varied over time, we obviously see much more fluctuation uh, when it comes to the operational targets. Uh, where, for example, during the financial crisis, uh, about 30% of these targets were actually met compared to, I think, 65 to 70%. Uh, of these more strategic targets, so there is an obvious difference here in that in that we see how management can actually have much more control over some targets uh, rather than others. Right, and I can continue there and just uh, mention that we've looked at uh, at different sectors. So how have different sectors in the Nordics performed? And we're not going to bore you all to death with uh, mentioning each and every single sector because I think that would be a very tedious task. Uh, but we are going to mention our, uh, our the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so we have, uh, as our worst performer, uh, industrials. Uh, and if you think about uh, the target achievement for operational targets being highly affected about, uh, of uh, uh, macro environment, uh, it falls quite naturally that a cyclical business or a cyclical sector such as industrials, uh, on average, uh, have a hard time uh, delivering on these targets. Uh, in the middle of the bunch, uh, we find uh, ourselves, financials, uh, and one of the uh, w one of the things here that we want to mention is that financials, on average, have been performing much better towards their targets. Uh, and remember that we're looking at the Nordic universe here uh, since the the financial crisis. But there is also this this uh, performance enhancing uh, effect here, where financials have a lot of financial targets that are 
coupled together with uh, regulatory requirements. Uh, so, so failing on those aren't really uh, something that you're going to do. Right. Uh, and top of the bunch, uh, we would say there's a split between uh, technology and uh, telecom. So two obviously more stable and, and more, uh, how do you say, more, more unaffected by the macro environment uh, type of sectors. Why do you think that is? Maybe because if I think of the difference between technology and industrials, the, the thing that jumps to mind is kind of hardware and software, industrials making things and technology being more uh, something that people will change quickly and maybe feel like they need more. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't resist then describing it, Victor, as uh, with the analogy to the uh, classic movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, technology and telecoms are Clint Eastwood. That's that's the way to describe it, right? <laughs> they would be the good. Uh, and, and it's an interesting question, John. Uh, I, I think a lot of it uh, has to do with the nature of the business of companies within the telecoms operator sector and the technology sector in that they are not as exposed to fluctuations in economic growth as companies within, for instance, the industrial sector, where industrial production levels would very much drive demand uh, and, and, and general corporate performance. Um, revenues would be less cyclical for telecoms operators than many cyclical industries. Uh, and for technology, varying from company to company, but, but the same kind of dynamic, I think. Uh, when you talk about tech companies, what kind of companies are you talking about? Are you talking about tech hardware and tech software? I noticed you made a, Both. a, okay, Both. You made a distinction between telecom operators and um, rather than than kind of hardware companies like say an Ericsson yeah and and, and that's why the, 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 this is a Nordic universe of companies meaning that it's not huge in in absolute number of companies and, and therefore technology in a Nordic context is both types of companies so, okay. so it's it's pretty different uh, which ones are in there uh, what they look like from from company to company but lack of cyclicality would be I think the general explanation Okay. Now, if we talk about, um, well, we've talked about the, the companies meeting their targets um, and which ones are good and which ones are bad and which ones are worse. Um, well, what do they get? What happens when you meet your targets? So, so answering one of your, your first questions, what is difference, uh, different in, in this study? Uh, we have uh, have done a more quantitative study uh, looking at is uh, the stock price of a company uh, affected by how well uh, they work with targets uh, or how how well they uh, they achieve their targets. And what we've done there is to to look at our full universe of uh, around 200 companies and uh, split them up into different groups. So one group with um, the, the companies that continuously since 2007 have used, uh, have used uh, financial targets. Uh, and we mean then continuously that they've every single year used financial targets. Uh, and we compare this to the companies that have not continuously used financial targets. And already there, uh, we find uh, an outperformance. It is not huge. Uh, I think it's about 15% over these uh, 12, 13 years. Uh, but another interesting thing is to look at what is the average volatility uh, among this, uh, this group of companies that are actually using financial targets continuously. Uh, and we find that it is around 25% lower uh, than, than uh, the volatility for the average company that is not using financial targets uh, continuously. 
And the next thing we've done is to uh, to look at these two groups that we mentioned before, so, so the strategic target types versus the operational target types. And we note that simply having operational targets, uh, these companies have enjoyed a 50% outperformance uh, compared to our full universe. Is that whether or not they've... Whether or not they've, they've achieved them, just simply having operational targets every year, they've enjoyed 50% uh, outperformance. And then in the next step, looking at this group that have had operational targets, whether or not they have achieved on them, or if they've failed. And we, when we say achieve, uh, it, it is, uh, uh, in our study, defined then as either you have a target set that, that you're supposed to achieve every year, mm-hmm. uh, in which we give it a, a green light, you can right. say. Uh, or if they have a target expressed as, for example, over the cycle. If information is available, then we will try to, to gauge what is the over the cycle number. Right. Uh, hopefully, the company themselves provide that for us, uh, but sometimes we've had to, to do a bit more digging into mm-hmm. what that means. Um, and if we can't define that, then if they've achieved it, so they're above their over-the-cycle uh, over target, uh, we still give them a green light. Okay. Uh, but if they're below it, then we can't really say that they've failed, right? right. Because they're not supposed to meet the target every single year. Uh, so, so, so then we don't give them a, a fail, but we give them a kind of yellow light, as you will see uh, when you read the report. Uh, but anyways, going back to these uh, these operational targets, that when we look at the group that has had uh, operational targets every single year, uh, first of all, uh, they've enjoyed a 50% outperformance. But when we also look at the companies, so, so the 50% best companies in this group uh, when, in terms of target achievement, uh, they've actually been performing an additional 50% uh, above the market. This is above the market. Is this above the, not your sample? What, uh, what it, it's above our universe of 200 okay. Okay. large liquid Nordic corporates. So right. so it's a pretty good representative of uh, of the Nordic markets. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we also look at the same uh, s- same thing f- when it comes to strategic targets, uh, so shareholder return or capital structure. And we would say that our, our, our conclusion there is that it, it doesn't really matter as much. So simply having or not having strategic targets, y- they're performing in line with markets. Uh, some of that has to do with most of the companies actually having these targets. But at the same time, we also see in, in, in the performance chart that over time, uh, it doesn't really differ that much uh, in performance at all, whether you have the target or not. But if you achieve on the target, the only time that actually matter, matters uh, is during times of economic turmoil. Uh, so, so, for example, during the financial crisis, uh, we see a heavy outperformance uh, for the companies actually managing to succeed with their capital structure targets, uh, for example. Uh, while at the same time, the companies that are failing to meet those targets, uh, of course, get, uh, get punished for it. All right. So if we were to to kind of wrap things up, how do you think corporates should think about financial targets? Yeah, this is really what it boils down to, right? Um, and, and, And this is what we're trying to address, particularly in this report, looking at what would be the key takeaway for the reader um, I think you should split it up into in, in, into a few different considerations. The first and most basic one would be, should we as a company have financial targets or shouldn't we? And then going back to what you said earlier in the beginning, about, I think a good place to start is to just check with the key category of stakeholder, your owners, your, your, your shareholders. 
equity investors, what do they want? Right, well, and so they said, what was it, 100% of the, the people that we interviewed wanted the, yeah. the buy side or the investors that, that exactly, we interviewed? Exactly, the investors wanted 100% wanted targets. Okay. So you have a 100% consensus among the equity investors that you should use targets if you're a company, if you're a public company. And in addition to that, if we look at reality today, 85% of them in the Nordics are using targets. So what it boils down to is if you're a big public company in the Nordic region, if you're not going to have targets, you will be expected to explain why you choose not to. If you're an early phase biotech company, it might be perfectly understandable if you really can't see the use of having a margin target or a return on capital target that might be fair. And then you would be one of those 15% who don't have targets, but you will be expected to have them. Eventually. Uh, depending on what business you have and, and, and what phase of maturity you're in, etc. But yes. Uh, so that that's the sort of key, most basic question to begin with. And, and then I think moving on from that, what is the case for having financial targets? And, and having worked with this topic uh, in, in several different versions going back all the way to 2012, we've had a massive number of customer meetings and discussions about this topic. And just trying to sum up the impressions, it is fairly common for a corporate management to find itself in a situation that they reflect on, what about not promising anything? What about not committing to anything? What about not sort of being held accountable for disappointing and not delivering on something that has been promised? Wouldn't that be a wonderful freedom to have? And we have a lot of sympathy for that. It's very human to think in those terms. But crassly, if we want to stick to the sort of commercial economic arguments and the rationale for having financial targets, as Victor has explained at great length, the case for having financial targets and being disciplined about them, choosing good, sensible targets and also making the best possible effort to deliver on them really pays off. Your business is going to end up being much more valuable if you do. We can see that in the data. When we're talking about having financial targets, I just want to, to ask one more thing, and that's we've looked here at a universe of companies with quantifiable financial targets. Now, there are some companies that have soft targets that we haven't really considered are those those are in the 15 percent of companies that you consider as not having financial targets yeah they either have they either have targets which don't qualify in our definition as targets or they don't have any targets at all right now so i was just thinking about that in terms of a company that that says why don't we just not promise anything or we don't have quantifiable targets um maybe some of those have opted instead to say growth in line with the market, whatever that may be, to, yeah. to kind of try to have it both ways. Yeah. Uh, and we're looking through uh, these 200 companies, we, you know, if a company has a target that is uh, growth in line with the market or, or better than peers, if they themselves have provided us in, in their annual report with, uh, with uh, what that actually means, uh, then we still consider that as a quantifiable target, right? Be right. Because they themselves define what it is. Uh, but unfortunately, in most cases, it, it kind of stops there, and it is rather fluffy, where a lot of companies uh, do say that, you know, we want to growth above the market, or, or growth that is better than peers, or, or long-term high uh, EBITDA margin, or, or something along those lines. And in our experience, it would be, in the eyes of investors, equal to the same thing, i.e. not giving a target. Okay. Um, 
just uh, I, I can't resist uh, coming back to the epic uh, movie analogy and, and, and just trying to describe it in those terms. I mean, in, in, in the movie, Clint Eastwood is the good, uh, Lee Van Cleef is the bad, and Eli Wallach is, is the ugly, right? And then, and then if you want to try and twist this, just looking at the analysis, the quantitative analysis that Victor described about the impact on the company's value, on its performance in the market, from having targets and working successfully with targets and not having them, or possibly having them and failing to deliver on them, it's a huge difference difference. You want to be Clint Eastwood, you don't want to be Eli Wallach in this context. It, it will matter massively for what the company and the business is worth in the end, and, and, and few management teams, if any, would be able to afford to ignore that. So I just, just to try and twist it a little bit to, uh, to that uh, classic movie. Um, and maybe to round off by uh, just highlighting that the next Nordeoni Mind report in November uh, will revisit partly this topic in that we're going to look at how to pay it out from the corporate's point of view. Should you pay out capital to shareholders with dividends or with share buybacks or both? So welcome back to that discussion coming up for our next Nodi on your mind. All right. Thank you and thank you everyone for being here today. Thanks. Thank you, John.